welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. who's sitting right next to me, yeah. how's it going? We covered all this on the movie journal. I know, but it's it now feels, old hat again. It, it feels it, unofficial until right, we do the actual a, episode. Yeah, this is a real episode. It has a yeah. number and everything. Yeah, we're back in the same room. Um, back in the saddle, David, that's yeah. what I say. Now, um, of all the important things that have happened in the world of uh, movies lately, the thing that's been on my mind okay. is... Now, you've never seen the movie Saw. I have not seen no. Saw. Oh, I hate that thing. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, no, me, I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, I'm going to look up... So, but, and you're also so far removed from like the sort of Twitter sphere and stuff. You don't I'm, know about yes. like the uh, recent uh, fun kind of crazy thing that someone discovered about saw the little like i guess easter egg is the term people use oh um i'm going to be watching the first saw somewhat soon okay so i'll, I'll be on the lookout for this what so is saw it? was really it, it premiered at the sundance film festival in january of 2004 okay was it that late for some reason i thought it was earlier than that okay well here's the thing that someone discovered and somehow of all the many people who have watched saw and big saw fans no one noticed this or at least never noticed it and made it public before the events of saw the first movie take place intentionally for some reason on september 10th 2001 it's on carrie ellis's phone and someone like tweeted it and like snopes investigated it and it's like yeah this is the i don't know how this wasn't a thing before and that's clearly the movie came out in 2004 this is clearly a choice yeah that that um um james wan or uh lee one out lee one i think uh lee Winnell wrote it james one directed it yeah um or Lee Winnell and James Wan co-wrote it together. James Wan is the director. Clearly a choice that they made. Yeah. I don't know, like... And I feel like early 2004 is a bit too soon for, like, 9-11 irony, I think. Well, it depends on who you are. Not if you're Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yeah. He really <laughs> led the charge on that. Um, yeah. What a weird choice. Do you think... All right, hang on now. Hang on, hang on. Given what Saw is, and though I haven't seen it, I know what it is, do you think they're kind of drawing a parallel, sort of the chickens coming home to roost type thing, that, oh. hey, this terrible thing is happening to you, but you know what? Maybe you brought it on yourself. I hope not, but um, yeah, maybe that's, a, that's intentional. Whew. But uh, one, a lot yeah. more political than you'd think. But I'm just more concerned with how this went undiscovered for 14 years that is a little that it you'd think the internet's not new i know this is the kind of thing the internet loves yeah what else is still out there this was the last this was the last one (laughs) okay the last thing not just in movies but just in life this was the last uh uncovered thing but i think um for now i'm just going to assume any movies that aren't crystal clear about when they take place take place around the events of september 11 2001 i believe it yeah okay. it will give every film a little bit more depth i think yeah. and then you can read you can read all kinds of things into it um incidentally i did uh, you know 
you and I are, are back now. Obviously, we were back for the, the, the movie journal, but... We never went away. We, <laughs> don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. That's true. Who, what's that? What is that? Uh, wait, who said that? Hello, Cool J? No, I can't remember <laughs> who said that. Uh, oh, fuck. No, I... But that's the thing is, like, so you and a, I are... Such a rap uh, dummy. There is a... <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, that was an on stage prop they would have. It's like, oh, yeah. w- w- check out the rap dummy. Um, it is a local joke. It was like soy bomb. I'm not too dumb. But, uh, but no, like, we, so we're, you and I are back recording in the same physical space. And that, at least as far as Battleship Pretension is concerned, that kind of means like, okay, so that's the end of this era of the, of the pandemic of the lockdown. Obviously it's still going on worldwide. And, uh, and I just kind of felt like this is how I felt honestly, when I went to the international Christian film festival, like we had all skipped it that year. And it's like, well, we're back here now and people were all happy to be back. But I did, you know, I, I had kind of this uh, rather, uh, morose, uh, what would you call it? Maudlin, the kind of the maudlin mm-hmm. thought. It's like, you know, you and I are, are, are back, at least in this capacity. But I also thought, like, it's like, oh, man, you know, I had to, I lost out on some work because, you know, there's some teaching that uh, that I couldn't do. And, you know, there are a lot of people that, that lost out on some things. And I, But I also came to realize, like, I didn't come to realize, but it's just something I, I try to remind myself. It's like, yeah, I mean, I was extreme. I, like, I was inconvenienced. A lot of people were really inconvenienced. But there are, there are other people that like genuinely lost something here, like lost their lives. Or, I mean, th- there are friends of the show who lost people mm-hmm. and I would talk to them ab- about that. And it was, and it was tough to hear. Like it is like, we all hear about this. It's very much how I felt when my father passed away, which is like, no, that's the kind of thing that you hear about happening, but it doesn't happen to you. And it didn't happen to me in this case. And I don't think you lost anybody, did you? Uh, not no one in in my family. There was uh, at least one scare. There was um, okay. a um, a childhood friend's mom. Like so, someone that I've known since I was a little kid did mm. did die of COVID. That's as close yeah. as it comes. But this is someone that I also hadn't talked to since I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, I talked to the kid, but not her mom, not yeah. his mom. Anyway, that's so. Something safe to say it's close as it can. no one really close to to us so like we came out of this having been inconvenienced and frustrated by the politics of it and just like the lack of action or mm-hmm. whatever it is uh but there are some people who like actually genuinely like this is was the darkest moment of their life and so it's just something that i i felt like i wanted to to mention here is that it's so easy when you when there's something happening on a not even national but a global scale it's so easy for it to become an impersonal thing and just boiling it down to how it affected us Mm -hmm. and it's like oh well which is an understandable thing because obviously we want to understand like empathy and all that but i think it never hurts to recognize like there are people like i'm glad to be recording with you in person again it's a bummer that we weren't able to do that but good god that if that's, that's the, the worst, worst thing yeah. that we could experience yeah then uh we are tremendously blessed whatever word you want to use and so uh you know just at the i would just say uh whoever you are just uh, be thinking about those that maybe either literally didn't make it or they love someone that didn't make it because right. this wasn't a 
this wasn't like, oh no, the power went out for a, a year, which obviously actually would have all kinds of terrible effects. <laughs> yeah, of but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's not something like that. It was something, something worse. And so, uh, you know, I just wanted to make everyone feel bad for a while yeah. <laughs> uh, well, before we get started. I, I love doing that right before we jump into an ad read, but, um, I'm going to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. Uh, Tyler, for the second week in a row, I'm going to try and talk about hip-hop as I just established I'm a rap dummy. Mm-hmm. But um, by the time you're listening to this, listeners, the uh, uh, the posthumous DMX album, Exodus, Exodus has already come out i haven't heard it all i've heard is the single hood blues uh which i've listened to a bunch of times because i think it's really great um it's uh dmx with uh with a new generation of uh of of, of rappers he's got um he's got uh um i'm drawing a blank on the the west side gun benny the butcher and Conway the Machine, all from the Griselda crew, uh, on on the track. There, it's like it's you're a, speaking in code. It's a, ter- it's, it's a terrific song. I listen to a bunch. Um, sad, maybe sad all over again that DMX has has passed away. I'm hoping Exodus as a whole is as good as. Um, Hood Blues is uh, sounding great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? This uh, could be fun, or it could expose us as a bunch of frauds. Um, Oh, I don't think so, because it is is very much uh, personal interpretation. So this comes about uh, from a conversation that I had um, a few weeks ago. You were uh, not on the show, um, and I had Cole and Justin from uh, the Oscar Expert uh, YouTube channel. And the conversation was a great deal of fun. Um, and towards the end of the discussion, we talked about what we referred to as gateway movies, which is, you know, if and, and I'm sure everyone, has, every film fan has experienced this in their own way, which is you're recommending a director or you're recommending uh, an era of filmmaking or a genre or whatever it is. And someone says, well, where do I start? And so you could, you could view it as a jumping off point or you could view it as like, yeah, I guess just sort of an, uh, an introduction to somebody who might not be familiar with this. And so you kind of want something that is in many ways, the quintessential quintessential example of whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it has to be a little bit user friendly. And so the idea of gateway movies, yeah. um, and it's something that I, in talking with friends for decades, like this has always been a thing that I've had, which is like, okay, well, I'm not going to throw them into the deep end with this movie or that movie. So what is a good gateway? And certainly as a teacher, 
it has become that has become a like a, a big part of my semester uh, from from year to year. Uh, and so I thought like it might be a sort of a fun uh, one of our fun games, David. Yeah. To just kind of throw back and forth and just get each other's uh, take on like certain filmmakers or movements or or whatever it is. So uh, the what I'm what I'm worried about is that sometimes our answers here might make us seem basic, whereas honestly, it's that we're that's where you want to start like you're saying because if someone asked me where do i start with david lynch i would say blue velvet blue velvet is very lynchy but also (laughs) very recognizably a movie in a way that someone who's not used to david lynch movies would still see like okay this is this is a movie this isn't in an empire you know Um, but it's not the straight story either uh, like if you said where should i start with david lynch like the straight story and then end there. Don't <laughs> watch anything after that. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that seems like an obvious choice, but the, the game here isn't to be cunning. Yeah. Isn't, isn't to like pick the left field hipster pick. Yeah. It's, right. it okay. really is. I mean, in a way like this is, this is a version of, of a, an idea I had a while ago, but it was more rooted in, filmmakers whereas this could be genre era whatever it is um or filmmakers um which is like if you were to if you were to say like this is the essential film by a certain filmmaker what would it be yeah so it's also, similar to that okay. but not exactly because um, essential doesn't necessarily mean the best introduction to their to their thing yeah you're right i also because i feel like well, the essential david lynch is probably mulholland drive I feel like that is the most David Lynch. I would film. probably uh, agree, um, but yeah, it's not where I would tell someone to, yeah. to start. Um, but I also want to uh, personally. I think I want to stick to things that present a level of difficulty. Sure. Like I don't want to say like. It's the question is like, oh, where do I start with? Martin Scorsese. It's like, they're all great and they're all super watchable. Just watch Martin Scorsese movies. But I, I guess, yeah, don't start with silence. Sure. You know, that's, that's maybe not, uh, but, um, I feel like we should focus on things that have maybe a higher degree of di- difficulty. And I, and just making it hard for me to pick something. Well, and what I'll say, and I'm fine with going with stuff that's a little bit easy because even with Martin Scorsese, Again, like let's think in terms of someone who likes, who has a, who's a casual viewer of movies, but they want to deepen their appreciation. And they say, I've heard good things about this Martin Scorsese guy. Where should I start with him? Well, you're not going to say The Age of Innocence. You're not going to say Kundun, regardless of what Christopher Maltesanti thinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're probably going to go with, it's like, all right, probably one of his gangster movies. You're not going to go with Last Temptation. You're not going to go with King of Comedy or New York, New York. You're probably going to go with one of his gangster movies. I'd say that Mean Streets is a little bit too raw. I'd say probably either Goodfellas or The Departed. I feel like those are oh, the, yeah. one of those is the most uh, the most accessible. And even then, I feel like there's a, a slightly heightened stylized quality to The Departed that makes it more accessible than Goodfellas. Yeah, that will also it's also like an age thing. Sure. Like, would it, it, are we because uh, I'm like picturing a young person because you talked about students and uh, yeah. something it's like Departed would seem less difficult just because older movies seem more difficult to younger yeah. people they, they feel older Goodfellas doesn't feel that old to me when I watch it but sure. if I were 18 years yeah. old now it would feel like it was from a, a much 
I don't know, uh, a long gone era. And I do think from a content standpoint, you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to sympathize with Leonardo DiCaprio because no matter what he is doing, you know what he, where his where his heart truly lies, mm-hmm. as opposed to Henry Hill in Goodfellas, who's just who just always wanted to be a gangster and then becomes one and becomes kind of an asshole and uh, yeah. <laughs> and doesn't really question whether this is moral or not. And so, you know, it, that's that's why I have a hard time watching Goodfellas that I don't have anyone I can connect to. Uh, I'm not like I, I was watching. Uh, so I, the last day of the semester for me was was today. And I always do a thing where I talk about, like, if you want to continue your, your education, yes, by all means, take classes, keep me uh, working. But or you can seek out these critics, these podcasts, these YouTube channels. And then I wind up showing a, a clip of Siskel and Ebert reviewing Goodfellas. And they talk about, and Ebert talks about how the world of Goodfellas is hermetically sealed. That like these characters only interact with each other. They don't really interact with the outside world. And that's how I feel watching it. I feel like they are talking to each other and I'm outside watching, which is still interesting, but I can't really connect with them as opposed to The Departed, which is, I think, not as good of a movie, but I think as an entry point, as a gateway, I think that one is, it will welcome people in a little bit more. Through the DiCaprio character. All right, so we we ended up doing Scorsese. What's uh? What do you want to throw out there? I'm going to throw out one that is, I think, way more difficult than one might think, which is Steven Spielberg. Oh, because it's just it's so it's massive. So, it's like, well, you got your Schindler's List Spielberg, and you've got your E.T. Spiel, Spielberg. Similar sensibility as far as visually and tonally, but like, not even tonally, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but like there often are like there, there are like two Spielbergs. There's like commercial entertainment and like heavy Spielberg, still a wonderful artist in both cases. But like, is there one movie that sums up him? That is a good, that is not, not sums up. Pardon me. That is a good entry point into him. Yeah. Well, I think you mentioned the two modes, but I also think that, um, there's a, a certain set of beliefs or, moral assumptions about the world that I think generally that exist in both of his, his modes. He's kind of, even if you know, uh, he's talked about how he wouldn't make close encounters the same way or whatever, but I sure. still think that he has this kind of like, he was, uh, uh, a kid who was raised in a safe <laughs> loving environment and has a certain, has made certain assumptions about, the world based on that about what is right and what is normal. And so I think, um, ET honestly is not a bad way in, even though I think ET is kind of overrated. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of a, uh, um, just, a, a it's kind of a scattershot movie, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, right. I, I don't love ET, e. but yeah, m- maybe something that has some of that cornball, uh, thing to it. I'm inclined to say you mentioned close encounters. I'm inclined to say close encounters because I think that is it has a lot of the same sensibilities as ET, but it's undeniably for for grownups. Hmm. So you have the two sensibilities coming together, but at the same time, I could imagine a lot of people not finding it particularly accessible because it doesn't have the adventure. It has awe, 
but I don't know if it has the adventure that you'll find in Jaws or Raiders or Jurassic Park or something like that. Um, but I, I do feel like it's like, would it, like, I mean, Schindler's List is, is, is a wonderful movie, as is Munich. I adore Munich. Yeah, Munich, Munich is is up there too because that's a very entertaining thriller that has some very adult ideas in it. Um, but Spielberg's but tough. Also, it's a tough. He's a tough gateway filmmaker. It's also um, Munich is very much a post nine eleven movie. Yes, that's true. And is the quintessential Steven Spielberg a post nine eleven Steven Spielberg? I would say no. Um, I feel like. I mean, I feel like Munich is the best film he's made in the last probably 25 years. Um, and I think everything since then has been certainly below, sometimes significantly below Munich. I do feel like something probably in the 70s and, and early 80s, like you've got Jaws, Close yeah. Encounters, e- Raiders, E.T. I might have to go with E.T. Yeah. Personally. All right. Okay. All right. Let me throw one out for you. Right. I know you're a fan of this filmmaker, Jim Jarmusch. I was thinking about this as a uh, boy. I mean, he definitely has a style that's consistent from one film to the next. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the style is a little bit heavier. And so I would definitely not say something like dead man. Um, cause it's a, that could be a little bit, a little bit obtuse. So if somebody needs like a good introduction to him, I wouldn't. I think my favorite film of his is probably, probably Down by Law, but I don't think it probably. I don't think it'd be that one either. I would probably say. I'd probably say either Night on Earth or Mystery Train. Um, okay. Probably leaning towards Mystery Train, if I if I'm being honest, just because. I mean, they're ah, shoot. Hang on. Do I believe that? Not on Earth does have a very clear structure, which granted he doesn't always have, but as these little snapshots, uh, these five stories uh, that really run the gamut tonally, like you get like the goofy comedy and then the sad tragedy and just all of these things that he incorporates. But I will say, I think Mystery Train has all that as well. And I think it flow, everything flows into everything else in a more fluid way. So it has all of his hallmarks, including his, his love of Americana. So I would say Mystery Train. Okay. Do all you right. have it? What, uh, you know, I'm fine to throw back to the, the asker as well. No, I mean, I would like, um, sometimes I guess, uh, we, Maybe get mixed up with our own entry points. Sure. Because you know? I'm pretty sure, because I would have been 16, I'm pretty sure Ghost Dog was the first sure. Jim Jarmusch movie that I saw. That um, was probably the first one I saw too, and I didn't, it did not act as a good entry point. Oh, for okay. Because I really liked it. Um, but like most of his movies don't have like a gangster plot line and like assassins and stuff like that. So that seemed like maybe a good entry point to someone who was raised on, you know, action thrillers and and stuff like that. Uh, all right. I guess it's your turn. Uh, I'm going to stick with a filmmaker and I'll go with one that it might be easy. It might, might not be, I'm not sure. And it's, uh, you know, I'm at the moment, I'm not going with super obscure filmmakers at the moment. So I'm going to say Coen brothers. Um, 
Yeah, they're also very, very, like Steven Spielberg, there's a lot of stuff in a yeah. lot of different genres, but there's a worldview that that comes through. I feel like, I guess, I don't want to be getting the mindset of like condescending to the imaginary person yes. here. So I'm going to say a serious man, even though that movie could to the wrong person be very off putting. It was to me when I first saw it. And then okay. the second time I saw it, I was like, this is a masterpiece, but I guess, and maybe it's because of what I know about them, like that they grew up sure in this place. So maybe I'm projecting, uh, um, that in, in into it, but, um, uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's maybe uh, a good, a good way in. Interesting. But I guess it depends on what you think is quintessential about the Coens. Sure. I I tend to think, I mean, granted, A Serious Man is often quite hilarious. Uh, but I do feel like it's sort of like Inside Lewin Davis. Both movies I, I adore, but there's a lot, like, they're not really plot-based. And that's mm-hmm. okay. But if I'm thinking in terms of gateway... Like I'm thinking in terms of someone who maybe has a slightly more mainstream taste and now they're being introduced in this case to filmmakers who've made mainstream films, certainly, uh, but have also made films that are definitely not that Mm -hmm. like Inside Lewin Davis and I think A Serious Man. So with the Coen brothers and, you know, as much as I adore Fargo, I don't know if that's the best entry point either, because while it does have ultra violence and humor and a really and some nice uh, existentialism as well. I'm inclined to say something maybe like "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" or "True Grit" or something huh. like that. But it's, that's the thing of like being what's the like. There's between like most palatable and quintessential. I guess that's what we're trying to like. Right. Balance Gateway here. is somewhere in between those two. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So I think the existentialism you mentioned, I think, is to me at least so. Uh, key to yeah. who the Coens are that I, I felt like I needed to pick a film that really has that. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I haven't seen True Grit since the theater, but I feel like that does have it. Um, yeah. I also haven't seen it since the theater. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And it's also just like, it's funny and it's got, and it definitely has a, a through line. Um of course, I say that, but I mean, No Country for Old Men is a, like, I don't know anyone that doesn't like it, you know, and it does have like a, a hero. It has a villain. Like, I think it does. And I think it pulls you in. Uh, and it is very dryly funny as well. And that definitely, but that maybe was more of a, that was part of like this little unofficial trilogy of theirs of just like, just full-on fatalistic nihilism uh, between that and Burn After Reading and then I Think a Serious Man. Mm-hmm. So that's such a portrait of a specific time in their career. I'm not sure if... Yeah, but maybe I feel like that time is them being their most true selves. Possibly, yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to switch it up from, um, from, from filmmakers to, I guess, genre okay. or sub-genre. Okay. Because you subgenre, that's a good call. You made me think of this when you mentioned Dead Man. Where would you tell someone to start with revisionist westerns? I think Unforgiven. That's where I. I, I think it. Pro- I, as much as I love, love, love the Wild Bunch. That's the other contender. Yes. Yeah. 
I think it's one of those two. Um, but I think the um, and depending on the viewer, I think the the Wild Bunch is. I mean, it's quintessential revisionist Western because they're they're true antiheroes. Yeah, but that could be too off putting in, in a way. Whereas yeah. Unforgiven has more soul searching uh, yeah. uh, in it. Maybe it seems a little softer. Maybe this person wants just a. Yeah. A bunch of murderous assholes. Well, and that's the thing is like, God knows there's plenty of murder at the end, but I I think one of the things that I like about Unforgiven is that it seems really clear cut, but there's, there is some ambiguity there specifically with the Gene Hackman character. One of the reasons I love his character Mm -hmm. is that you just, you just pivot slightly and he's our hero in, 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 in a Western, if the same story was told 50 years before he's our, he's our hero, but here he's, uh, I I'm reluctant to even say villain. He's an, he's our antagonist, but he just, also I think Gene Hackman tends to just exude a certain degree of like, just likability and charm. Mm -hmm. And I think he has that. And so I do think that like, it definitely does get that sense of like, gosh, I don't know who the hero and who the villain is. But it's not. But it's not quite as as intense as the Wild Bunch. I prefer the Wild Bunch as a film, but I think Unforgiven is like that is the answer. I think it's actually probably pretty accessible. While still, I still remember like the the first exposure I had to Unforgiven wasn't me watching it. It was my dad and my uncle watching it in the other room, and my uncle was a big fan of westerns, and he fucking hated Unforgiven. <laughs> hated it. He said it made him feel so bad. I remember him saying that. And as I've gotten older, I think back, it's like, yeah, that might have been the idea there, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so, but yeah. And I, it's it's interesting that we had the, the same Yeah, that was same the two thought. places my mind went, because those are probably the first two that I would have seen that would have been real yeah. revisionist Western. I wonder what, what was the first Western I ever saw? I remember at a young age seeing Silverado. <laughs> sure. Because I was at the right age to see that. It's like a PG movie. It's got yeah. a bunch of actors I'd heard of. Did you and get, I had, did you get the, any of the humor? Uh, I don't remember. As a kid? It's been a long time, so I don't remember. I know I liked it. I watched it multiple times. Yeah. But that's what I would do when you were when I was a kid. I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before. Like, if I rented a movie and I watched it, I know like I've, this is a 72 hour rental or yeah. whatever. I'm going to watch this as many times as I can before it goes back. So I watched, what if you didn't like it? Oh Would yeah. You? Then I, okay. but it's, I don't, I don't think I was discerning at that age. I, I think yes, it's a movie and I get to watch a movie and I like watching movies. So yeah. obviously I love this. Yeah. So, but, uh, so I, yeah, so, so I don't know if Silver Road is even any good, but I know I liked it at the time. I watched it a lot. It is good. And I think I said, I feel like I said this on the podcast recently. It was probably the first Jeff Goldblum movie I ever saw. I think that's that's the uh, uh, my introduction to Jeff Goldblum. I think mine, for whatever reason, was Earth Girls Are Easy, because uh, I think it was playing. I think it was playing. There was like a year when it was playing on Comedy Central, which I think at the time was the Ha Network, constantly. Well, you know what else Comedy Central used to play? What's that? Uh, Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Oh, damn right. Uh, <laughs> With him and Ed Begley, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, but I probably saw. I didn't have cable as we established in the uh, movie journal this week. So uh, it's more likely that I saw uh, Silverado. But so I I guess that the point is that 
yeah, either Unforgiven or The Wild Bunch were the first revisionist westerns that I saw at least knowing enough to know that it was something different. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yes. Because tonally, whether it be western or otherwise, it's such a specific vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I my dad loved that movie. Silverado? When I, Silverado when I was a kid. And um, we had, like, a collection of VHS tapes in which my parents would rent. We owned a VCR. My parents would rent a VCR from the local video store and some movies and would just dub them onto these yeah. tapes. And that's, like, how I... So that's how I watched, like, a lot of the Star Wars movies and stuff. And so there was one with Silverado on it. And as a kid, I started it and just wasn't into it. It just wasn't for me. I finally watched Silverado when I was, like, in college. And I was like, this is great! Like, I really... So I think it... I think it holds right. up. Uh, okay. French New Wave. Um, okay, we have to define it. Um, or define what it's not, because I want to treat your um, Elan Rene's sure. Chris Marker's as maybe a separate as the left bank thing. Sure. Um, I think, yeah, it's hard. Uh, okay. Yeah. We, we, uh, you, uh, we keep getting sort of caught up with what was our entry point. Cause to me it was breathless. Breathless was sure. like the first French movie, maybe that, maybe that I saw, that I saw, that I saw, and it's, it's great. But I think, I think I'd probably go with Godard, but not with breathless. I'd probably go with band of outsiders. My, I think it's either Band of Outsiders or Jules and Jim. Um, and it's interesting how similar they are. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're both, yeah, sort of. My entry point was two, probably. Two guys and a girl. Two guys yeah. and a girl and a jump cut. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, now we got to start that podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, my entry point was probably Truffaut. I think it was probably Shoot the Piano Player. Okay. Um, in in yeah. film history. Yeah, I saw class. that in film school, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say it's, I think Band of Outsiders works because there is also like a certain crime element to it. Yeah, not that, but I not think, that, not that French New Wave is that. And I think that's why I don't want to pick Breathless or, or Shoot the Piano Player because I, I think I, because I, being the age that we are, I probably first heard of the French new wave because of Quentin Tarantino naming his sure. production company, a band apart. And like, sure. I thought of it and then I saw breathless. So I thought of it as like cool crime movies. Right. And so that's why I think starting with breathless as great as breathless is might give the wrong impression. Whereas a uh, band of outsiders is like, yeah, it has crimes in it, but it's really more about like, uh, young people hanging out yeah. Um, it, yeah. uh, which is I think more like a young people who don't yet have a grasp of their mortality and their future. Sure. I think that's a big part of the, 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 the just moment to moment living of, uh, of the French new of, uh, and that, that general sort of impressionism. There is an, an inherent element of youth to French uh, to the French New Wave, like even even and maybe especially something like the Four Hundred Blows, which I would not pick as I think it's a wonderful film, and I think it's probably my favorite of the limited number of French New Wave movies I've seen. Um, 
but I don't, th- I would not consider it, it might be a good entry point, but at the same time, I feel like it's not a great representative, uh, uh, representation of French New Wave as it is generally defined, um, as opposed to the, the two movies that we've talked about. So, okay, what do you got? It's my turn. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, well, I don't want to, like, um, I thought, I want to set aside time for us to pick some that we aren't throwing at each other because maybe there's directors or whatever that we're more sure. familiar with. So it's going to like, um, uh, obviously he's, I mean, not obviously, but, uh, he's a problematic person who's also now dead, but, uh, Kim Ki duck is someone I'm a big, uh, I, right. I've been a big fan of, of his films. The aisle was my entry point, but I would say probably start whispering summer, fall, winter and spring. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, for you though, I will say, um, because we did an episode on him, uh, Nicholas Rogue. Let's see here. Uh, you know what? I would need, to, I would need like a refresher on what he has made. Hang on one second here. Um, okay. Nicholas well, <laughs> Rogue. <laughs> so my, um, my entry point would, I think have been, well, without knowing it, my entry point was the witches, but yes, absolutely. I don't, yeah, mine I, too. I don't think that, um, counts because I didn't know. So my entry point was either walk about or don't look now. The, I, and I haven't seen them. We did an episode of him and, and I haven't, but I haven't seen that many of his, his films. I would, I would say don't look now. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it has, cause there's a, there is a very specific vibe to his movies, whether it be the witches or performance, you know what I mean? Um, and I think don't look now uses that like, I think it's the best use of that vibe, um, mm-hmm. where you're just uneasy and the film is definitely sympathetic to its characters, but it is also very curious about them but like in a, the way a scientist is <laughs> um kind of standing outside and watching them and just thinking like where where are we headed here um and it's and there's an unblinking quality to it as well whether it be from a violent standpoint or from a sexuality standpoint and so i i feel like that's you know that i think that is definitely like if you see that you get a really good sense of who he is and you'll probably be ready for ever for anything else he has made yeah, and then you mentioned the crucial element, which is sexuality. As yeah. great as Walkabout is, it's about kids. It doesn't yeah. have people having sex in it. Right. Don't Look Now is about adults who very much have sex in the movie, and that's yeah. like it's, it's, uh, sex in a way that is often unsexy is mm-hmm. a huge part of his movies. Um, although I don't think the sex scene in Don't Look Now is is uh unsexy but it's also but it's not there's a lot uh, going on there and yeah yes um yeah there's a lot going on there yeah there's a lot of psychosexual stuff in his movies and that's in walkabout as well um but it for very good reasons it's not as explicit as in don't look now uh all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to a filmmaker and i'm gonna go with uh i'll go with the big one which is alfred hitchcock um, I think, okay, I think the movie that I, and then this is a weird thing. We're talking about our own entry points mm-hmm. into things like, 
Psycho would have been the first Hitchcock movie I saw, which sure. is, I think, not a good, like, it's not indicative yeah. of, uh, of, I mean, it is indicative of some of his themes, I think, but in terms of the, the modes in which he generally worked, it's not, uh, yeah. it, it's not a normal thing for him. I, I think, um, yeah, it seems like an obvious pick, but probably North by Northwest. That's the, I think that's like the first one I showed my nephew. Sure. Um, cause it's, it, it has, I think it's an old movie in the way that I think young people want old movies to be. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's dated, but it's still lively. It is also, um, for the time it feels very expensive. It feels like a big grand Hollywood movie, but yeah. it also has multiple scenes of suspense, which is his sort of main thing. It has the wrong man thing, which is yeah. uh, a, a, a huge thing for him. Um, uh, I feel like I was going to say something. It's, good. Well, it's also got um, witty dialogue. It's a funny movie. Yeah. Um, I think North by Northwest might be the best entry point. I don't know if it's quintessential. Well, but it's it, close enough. So I'm trying to think, I, I, I forget what we, as I was talking about Nicholas Rogue, I was like, I said something like, oh, I think I've hit on something for myself as far as like the idea of a gateway, which is this thing is a good representation of what this it's, it's accessible. It's also a good representation of what they do. And it's also the kind of thing that if you watch it and then you watch the next one, you, you're not thrown. If you watch Psycho and then right. you watch... Rebecca, you're going to be like, whoa, 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 what? Yeah. And so that's yeah. why Psycho, I think, is absolutely not a good, it's a, it's a great movie and it, it could be considered maybe one of his most accessible movies, but that, I don't know if that's a good gateway into him. I would say either North by Northwest or Rear Window. Yeah. Rear, Rear Window is uh, bouncing around in like, my brain too. That's a, that to me, it's suspense. I think it's a crowd pleaser. I think it's very tightly plotted while there's still a lot of other stuff going on. Cause like, and I, similarly, I don't think vertigo would be a good gateway because even though it is in many ways, very Hitchcockian, it's a little, I feel like for someone who's unfamiliar with him, I feel like they would watch that and not want to see anything else <laughs> that he'd made. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Is it my turn? Yes. Um, I'm going to go with, yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with slasher movies. I was thinking about one about that one today, and you know, I guess it all depends on how we're defining slasher. I'm willing. I think I'm willing to go with what I consider to be the first like official slasher movie, which is Halloween. Yeah. Like as much as I adore Texas Chainsaw, it came out of it's like, hey, it's a mask killer. He's killing, you know, he's killing people. But I do think that it's I feel like it doesn't quite it would be in it would be brought into the slasher genre with its sequels and stuff. But I don't consider that an official slasher movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's proto slasher the way that like yeah. the Stooges aren't really a punk band, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. The Stooges. So, um, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the Stooges, and Black Christmas is the MC5. It's not quite punk yet, not quite slasher yet, but they're... Again, uh, I feel like you're speaking in code, <laughs> uh, you know, where you're choosing to pause or clear your throat, you're uh, sending messages out to the government. Yeah, I guess I, yeah, I, I shouldn't have picked slasher because I feel like 
in retrospect, it's very obvious. Um, as far as how I define slasher, I think, um, I don't know if the mask is as necessary as to me, a slasher is a, a slasher movie is a movie where you've got a sort of group of potential victims and they get picked off one by one or sometimes two at a time. If they're like in flagrante, you know, sometimes (laughs) that happens, but it's generally, um, uh, a a group of fodder for the killer who get picked off one at a time. Yeah. And I, I don't think the mask is necessary, but I do think that the, the a certain lack of humanity, whether it be you never see you don't see their face until the end, or their face is obscured, which is why I have a hard time viewing Freddy Krueger as a slasher. Like his personality comes through. Like there, is, I think there's something to be said for like the silent slasher. Um, yeah, and but also I, but the I, Nightmare on Elm Street I, thing has too much that's like supernatural. Yeah, which makes me yeah that seems. Related to slasher movies, because yeah. it definitely has the kids getting picked off one at a time. Sure. I've, only, I've only ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street. I've never seen any other Freddy movies. There's some, I mean, there's certainly a lot of supernatural creativity in that series. But yeah, it's. I feel like in in like a pure slasher movie, there might be an element of supernatural insofar as this this guy can't die. But that's usually where it stops. Um, but yeah, uh, okay. So here we go. I'm going to go... As broad as I can as oh, I can okay. think of. Okay. Silent film. Okay. Um, I think that. So you want if you, you want to go with like a, the the palatability accessibility thing? Yeah. And maybe There's, something that will make them want to watch another one. Yeah. There's two ways you can go. I think comedy seems obvious, but. It's also comedy in general is just too subjective. Sure. I think you have to go with a filmmaker who was full of crowd pleasing grandeur. And that's Fritz Lang. Got it. <laughs> Fritz Lang. I think you have to go sure. with a Fritz Lang movie and probably Metropolis is I think the 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 way to go. But then will people be bothered by the like missing scenes where it's just it bothered me. Like I didn't okay. like Metropolis for a long time and then got like I finally saw like the the most restored version. I was like, oh, which I still haven't seen. That's from like mm. the last ten years or so, right? They yeah, found, yeah. I I still never seen that version. Yeah, I don't know. What do you what what, what do you what do you think? I, I you know what? This is one where just because of my teaching, I feel like comedy is not subjective. Silent comedy, especially because it's not rooted in the way people talk or terms right. they use. Okay. Uh, just today, like, as I mentioned, it was my, the, the last day of class. And so I asked my students, like, which of the movies that we watched was your favorite? A shocking number of them said safety last hmm. It's the, literally the first one we watched. And this was a, a semester when we watched Jurassic park and we watched some noir and uh, we watched the dark Knight. Um, and yet a lot of them said safety last. And they said, like, I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was. And one guy said, I told my friends about it. And then I responded with, I have to assume they weren't super interested. <laughs> he goes, yeah, no, they really weren't. <laughs> but I wonder if that's the thing of what you were saying with like 
Psycho is introducing to someone to silent film via silent comedy only sure. going to make them interested in silent comedy. That is pro- that is probably true. Um, so yeah, I do. Th- I mean, I I think probably either comedy or expressionism, you know, or something you know, sort of genre based. But I'm I not think, sure like, if I, I'm not Caligari is sure too weird. I think, or at least to someone who's un accustomed to expressionism right the obvious fakeness of the sets yeah. is is maybe too off-putting whereas like kind of like what i was saying with north by northwest if people are accustomed to mainstream movies metropolis has grandeur it has sure. big production design it has special effects it, it, sure. it has all those sorts of things whereas i think something maybe like nosferatu is too rooted in horror just like, you know, Safety Last or whatever is rooted in. Yeah, that's not a bad pick, though. Nosferatu. As far as, like, I will say, The General is enough of an adventure movie that, yes, it is funny, but it does have the grandeur and the bigness that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like Metropolis, Nosferatu, The General, I'm sure there's, like, another big one. I don't think I would go Soviet. Um yeah, like I've shown Potemkin to classes and they they respond to it, but they just they're just not ready for that pacing. What about um, The Last Laugh or Sunrise? I think The Last Laugh is is a possibility. Um, Sunrise could, could also. I, yeah, Murnau in general is a possibility. He did. Did he do Faust? Uh, yeah, he did Faust as well. I yeah. feel like Faust is also maybe a possibility, but um, and he's um, one of only two silent filmmakers we've done profiles on, right? Him and Buster Keaton. Have we done any other silent? I don't profiles. Think, I don't think we have. I would like to do on one on Harold Lloyd at some point, but um, yeah, Sunrise maybe. But again, like, it's got that part with the piglet. It sure does. Absolutely. Everyone likes, uh, everyone likes a piglet on like, the loose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's. So I, I think as I've been talking about this, I've stumbled onto another thing for me with a gateway movie is that if someone watches this, does it make them want to watch another one? And with Sunrise, it's hard to say. Because okay. again, this is one that I have shown my students. Uh, and. Some of them, they contextualize by me. They appreciate visually what's going on, mm-hmm. um, but they they have a hard time with that love story <laughs> because it's hard to identify as a love story. And they're just like, oh, okay. this guy's the worst. Uh, <laughs> right. Seems to be a conclusion they come to. It's like I don't want him to be happy. Um, but yeah. you know, at the same time, like it's a fair. It, it's a fairly accessible movie where it has a lot of the trappings of horror or fantasy, even though it isn't. So it's definitely in the running. And again, I gave you silent film. Yeah. Which is huge. Okay. Okay. Um, now I want to go, if you're going to go huge, I'm going to (laughs) go microscopic. What's the word I'm looking for? Granular. Films called Nosferatu. Yeah. Which one's it going to be? Um, but I guess, okay, I won't go too, no, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay. Because I was going to, but I, I want to go, I don't know how to define this, but let's just, for the, I don't like this way of 
referring to it, but let's say art documentary. If you were going to say like someone who's used to watching documentaries that are infotainment or that are sure. human interest or whatever, where would you tell them to look to see something that's documentary is personal expression? When you say, okay, I, I will need more information. Okay. When you say personal expression, can you give an example? Well, I, I guess, I guess I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much information because I'm, this is more something I'm defining as what it's not okay. just non-mainstream documentary. Okay. So it could be, uh, so trying to figure out how broad this could be. Yeah. It could be something like Harlan County, USA. Okay. Yeah. That's or Exit through the gift shop. Yeah, these are both uh, good examples that I think. Yeah, exit okay. through the gift shop is very accessible. I think that's extremely accessible. Fun. Yeah, I also think Hoop Dreams is extremely accessible. Um, I think you might have landed on that. I think Hoop Dreams might be the way to go. Yeah, I think that's because I feel like it's extremely relatable. It's in the moment. I think people will have a definite respect for how much time right. the, yeah. the director uh, Steve James spends on it. So hoop dreams is usually in a situation like this would be my go-to. There's also, I mean, it's, it's so very different, but dear Zachary is, is one that, I mean, it's devastating, but I think it does bring a person in. And I think by the end, yes, of course they're very sad, but they've felt engaged Mm -hmm. and I feel like that'd be a good introduction to what a documentary can be, uh, you know, that isn't super size me or, or whatever. Pretty sure Dear Zachary was the first time I would have seen the Netflix logo in a movie theater setting. Hmm. Because that's a Netflix movie, right? Is it? I don't, I didn't remember that. I think it's, I think Dear Zachary was a Netflix movie, but it had a theatrical release, which hmm. some, some of their movies still do sure. um, when they want them to. Uh, but I saw that at the, not that this isn't our Patreon fun game. Right. This is a different fun game. Um, but I saw that at the, uh, the Lemley Sunset Five before it became the Sundance Sunset and then became an AMC, AMC dine-in, yeah. which I've still never been to. You know what? Damn it. I feel fine with any of the answers I've given, but I do think the thin blue line is okay. is super accessible because yeah. you just can't help but get invested in the mystery of it uh, and trying to figure out what the real truth is. But but you know what? I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna say final answer is hoop dreams. Okay. Uh, all right, let's do maybe one more each. Sure. Okay. All right. What do you got for me? I got so wrapped up in mine, I uh, I couldn't think of what yours would be. Um, also, I feel like we could do this forever. So maybe this should be like a Patreon like works for me thing we do sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say. Hmm. Okay, okay. Hang on now. Hang on. I'm developing it in my mind right now. Superhero movie. Oh, um, okay. And of course that can meet that can go let's say that can go back as far as seventy eight with Superman to yeah. right now. But okay, the person that I'm having in mind but also we have to we have to remember that we are old. Yes, we are. Uh, because okay, my I think my gut reaction is going to be Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2. That's usually my go-to. Like yeah. as much as I love the Avengers, the question is 
is it as effective if you haven't seen the films previously? Sure, and if yeah. this is somebody's first, I think if you watch Spider-Man 2, you're going to want to watch another one. I think that's for sure. Yeah, I think... Uh, and it captures everything that we're ta- that superhero movies can be. Uh, yeah, I've... Um, the question of, like, what I think are... Uh, my favorite superhero movies uh, could change day to day, but I've said before that I think the three movies that I think do a, the best job of representing the sort of platonic ideal of superhero movies yeah. are Richard Donner, Superman, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man two and Patty Jenkins, wonder woman. Those, sure. th- th- those three. So maybe if it, if I were talking to a young person, maybe I would say wonder woman because it feels it's, it's newer. Sure. But I, I, I think Spider-Man two is probably, it's probably my favorite superhero movie and it's just so, yeah, it's, it's so exactly, it, it just feel, it feels like a superhero comic. It, it makes me feel yeah. the way that superhero comics make me feel. Yeah, it's, I would agree with that. It's certainly for me, a t- like a top three and it's tough cause I love Batman returns so much, but it's so what it is that I feel like it barely qualifies as a superhero movie. Like, yes, the names Batman, Catwoman, Penguin, they're all in there, but, uh, you know, I feel like that's mu- I feel like that movie is more of an entry point, a gateway to German expressionism <laughs> than any superhero <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Um, I have one, but I don't know if this is something you even like are into enough. Okay. But I know you've seen, but basically, but that's the thing you don't have to. Have seen. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll call it non-narrative, like not fiction, not documentary, but essentially experimental. Okay. Experimental film. Hmm. I mean, it's tough because, you know, anytime you introduce somebody to experimental film, there's like, is like, is it, will it get them to watch another one? Will they, maybe they won't enjoy it. Um, and is there a movie that, is there one that can sort of in a way be sort of a stand in for all these others? Uh, I, Oh, I just thought of that. You've got your own Uh, answer. Yeah. Yeah. I have one that I think would really uh, work. I mean, to a certain extent, I say like Unchi and Andalou. Oh, um, yeah. Not merely because it's short. So if somebody doesn't like it, at least it's yeah. done, done quickly. Meshes of the afternoon would be yeah. another one that's yeah. short. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think that partially, but um, but I also think like okay, well maybe something like last year Marion Bod or something like that. Okay. Which, but I also know that. You know, when I watched it, I was furious, but maybe because it hadn't been fully, con- it hadn't been fully contextualized for me. And I went yeah. and ex- like, if you tell someone like, this is an experimental film, all the things that you think about movies do not apply here. Like, if you say that, which I wish my teacher had said that to me, uh, I think I might have enjoyed it more. But like that, as, as a film goer who is vaguely sophisticated. I feel like I have an appreciation for that movie, but I'm not sure how much of a, how much it would welcome somebody into this world. And then I feel like something like a racer head would only push them out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I thought of, uh, along the lines of, you mentioned, 
Alain Rene, uh, along the lines of the left ping thing, to bring that around. I thought about Sans Soleil, the Chris Marker, I guess, documentary. But then the one I realized is actually an entry point, I think, to a lot of people. is very much crowd-pleasing, I think, to the right person. Koyana Skatsi. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's... I think that's... Because, yeah, officially it's a documentary, but, I mean, come on. You can't can't pigeonhole it that way. And I think it has enough energy that a person will find themselves watching to the end without even fully realizing that's what they've done. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah. That's that's pretty good. Because I think there is a tendency for, like, experimental film to be a little bit languid. And I don't know know if I... I don't know if I agree with that actually now that I say it, but compare comparatively coin Scotty just like has this energy mm-hmm. that's just going to keep you pulled in. So yeah, I think that's a good answer. Well, I think this is a good episode and, uh, yeah, we should do this on the Patreon. I agree. Patreon.com slash battleship retention. Uh, this is like, we're giving a taste. Exactly. <laughs> um, other First that, one's free. Uh, yeah. After that, you got to pay. Other than that, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Um, just a bunch of stuff on the website this week. Um, uh, we haven't really plugged on the podcast. We haven't plugged our other fleet podcasts in, in, in a while. We've got um, uh, Movie Meltdown. Um, and uh, of course, have we, have we even mentioned Cast of Cthulhu on the podcast? I don't think we have. Because except, except when one or the other of us has been like a guest on, right? It. But yeah, yeah. so Cast I, of Cthulhu is a lot of fun. Yeah, I do movies badly is ended for the second time until Jim decides to yeah. <laughs> unend it again. Um, but uh, Jim and James McCormick are doing uh, a uh, a podcast about movies based on or inspired by or roughly loosely reminiscent yeah. of the works of H.P. Lovecraft called Cast Cthulhu. And in, uh, in the case of my episode, it was not a movie. It was a video, a computer game from that I played in the 90s right. called Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness. And in my episode, it was also not a movie. It was a, an installment of the Masters of Horror uh, anthology TV series. But yeah, you can find all those at battleshipretention.com. Uh, what did I say? You can email us, blah, blah, blah. follow me, David, on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Follow Tyler on Tyler, at Tyler Pretension. Do you have anything to plug? I do not right now. Well, then, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.